Welcome to Cardboard Philosophy, the board game podcast where we talk about nothing serious, seriously. Each episode, we randomly pick from a list of niche, deep board game topics and have at it. So we invite you to join us at the table, listen in on our conversations, and let us know what you think. Welcome to episode four of Cardboard Philosophy, the show where we talk about random stuff for about 30 minutes, and we hope you like it. I am Robert, and alongside me are Steve and Evan. Hello. How's it going? I'm going to roll the die, and we'll see what we're going to talk about. Number 19, perfect information, which is a Steve topic. So Steve, go ahead and lead us in. It is, and I admittedly don't remember exactly what my context was writing this down, but I think it would be fun to dive into perfect information in general. And so I guess I think we should talk about what we mean by that. Um, and then how, how much, how it affects the game, how much it do you like what makes it fun to have perfect information or is it fun to have not totally perfect or why is it fun to maybe have both? All of that seems like what we could get into. I think there's two kind of broad ways to think about it. Like from a definition standpoint, so I'm curious where you guys land. I think the first way is relative perfect information, which is everybody at the table has the exact same information, mm-hmm. but they don't have absolutely all of it. While absolute perfect information is we have absolutely all the information uh, that exists in the game uh, and we share it. So like chess is like an absolute perfect information game. Yep. Uh, while you know something like a card game where we all have our own hand of cards, that is not absolute or perfect information because i don't know something that you don't right but maybe there's a game where there's a bunch of tokens that are face down and then over the course of the game those tokens get get flipped and we all see them as they get flipped face up which kanitsi has done in africa and also aristocracy i'm laughing because it's been a minute i just said kanitsi (laughs) how did you manage to do it (laughs) anyways like 30 seconds that would be The real trick is not doing it. Yeah, that's the tough part. <laughs> that's the challenge. That would be like relative perfect information where there's something hidden, but it's hidden from all of us. Um, and then there's some luck involved. So I'm curious where you guys land on that spectrum. I'm going to pause it. Is there no such thing as a perfect information game? Because even in chess, not, maybe not chess, because there's like moves and like chess is a quote unquote solved game where you theoretically could know every single combination of things that will happen. But the players create a situation where there's no perfect information because you don't know what they're going to do next. I mean, I see what you're saying. Um, I think it's, I get, I, I for sure see what Robert's saying. I think I agree generally. Like, I think there's the, the absolute perfect where we all see everything that's yeah. on the board. We don't have any hidden, there's nothing hidden. There's no hand of cards that only I can see. There's no tokens or anything that's flipped face down that neither of us can see or anybody. So, yeah, and I think that's a very interesting place to start and draw a first kind of line is saying there's that difference of whether all the players know everything that there is to know. Versus, but but I guess I see what you mean, where like you don't always know what order things people are going to do, obviously. That's part of the fun. Um, that, to me, is what makes it not totally solved, although, again, I know what you mean about chess. Like Theoretically, there's only there's a finite number of moves that you can do, which... Well, the reason I asked that is because games. I'm thinking, um, I, I know Robert has said in the past that he doesn't like perfect information games as much as he likes non-perfect information games, but, and we've already mentioned Knizia, so let's just go right in, you love Through the Desert, which 
I would argue is a perfect information game. But what makes that game interesting is you don't know what the other players are going to do, which removes some of that, I guess, barrier that the perfect information creates. Yeah, so I think I think a lot of this discussion is going to have some kind of a struggle of like separating luck or the lack of luck with from perfect information, because I think those two concepts are like really intertwined. I'm trying to even think of an example where where one exists but the other doesn't, and I can't right now, but I'm sure there are. Um, but I think the the key there is that in any game with perfect information that I like, or at least that I can recall liking, there are enough players who can do enough to the game state that it acts as a sort of randomizer. And that's what you were kind of saying, where like, there is no such true thing as perfect information because I don't know exactly every thought you're thinking. Mm-hmm. But I think kind of in the hobby as we use it, we don't mean that. We mean like no luck generally is how people I've seen use it. Um, so like with chess, it's like a perfect information two-player game. And I think the second player like kind of isn't doing enough to affect the game state that, that the perfect information is kind of felt more. And I need to like really think and calculate every single option. But the more players you add, the more chaos there is, the less I feel the need to do that kind of hyper-analyzing, and so the more it feels as though there is luck in the game. Another Kanitsu game is like Stevenson's Rocket. No luck. I love it. But I think it's because of the player-generated chaos. So is the opposite end of the spectrum luck? Because from what you guys are saying, it doesn't really sound like luck is necessarily the opposite of perfect information. I definitely would say, going into this discussion, that's kind of my prejudice, is that, you know, I'm going to describe something as perfect information if it has less luck and I can just kind of see everything on the board. Would you describe it as being something different? Well, yeah, I mean, maybe maybe correct me or tell me what you think, but you could say that we could just flip a coin back and forth. And in a way, that's perfect information. I know exactly what is available (laughs) or what the things are that we have to us or the choices. I don't know. Maybe that's not the best example. It's very lucky or it's entirely just luck driven. There's no choices involved. but we might be able to see, I don't know. That, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think that's kind of what I was trying to get at with the absolute and relative thing. Like mm-hmm. in, in, in the relative one, like there's tokens that are flipping face up. We all know the exact probability of that token being a horse or whatever it might be. Mm. And so in that sense, we share that information. Um, but I think the information we might argue is imperfect because we don't know for sure whether or not it is a horse. While if all the tokens were face up, then the information is kind of absolutely perfect. We know, you know, we know for sure that that is a horse, if that makes any kind of mm-hmm. sense. So I think like right. it, it's certainly tied to luck, but I think the difference is that in one situation, we all know the outcomes and we share that. Like that die is a one to six. It has a chance of rolling a three one out of six times versus I have a hand of cards that only I see. And so I know as a matter of fact that this is the ace of spades and you all can only guess that it's you know 10% chance of being that. And then the information is no longer relatively perfect. We don't share the same info. There's also kind of a zone there where like not everybody is going to remember everything the same or as mm-hmm. perfectly, right? Like you just kind of said, oh, yeah. we all know that that has X chance of being a horse. But like maybe I don't remember how many there are or maybe I'm not. I, I guess maybe you could argue I'm just all I have to do is count if I just try hard enough but i don't know there might be a situation where maybe everything's in a discard pile and theoretically i know the odds of what's left in the deck but if i don't actually remember that do i so based on this (laughs) quacks of quedlingberg which is a game where you are buying ingredients throwing them into a bag and then randomly pulling those ingredients out of the bag hoping that you don't get like a bunch of negative ingredients in your 
uh, pot, which is what you're kind of trying to build, is technically perfect information because everybody knows what everyone has added to their pot. Everyone knows what they started with. But the RNG of how far do I push the drawing stuff out of my pot is what makes it interesting, what makes it exciting, even though that game, I think most people, and I, I'm sure all three of us would agree, is very luck-dependent, it's still perfect information. It's a good point. And by RNG, you mean random number generator, right? Oh, true. true, true. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's relatively perfect, I think, as I was put it. As I, was put it. Mm-hmm. As I would put it, edit. Love that. Okay. And the thing that Steve was bringing up, which I think is really interesting, is that you're right, Evan, if we were all robots, it kind of behaves as a relatively perfect information game. But because we are all human, there's enough differences in what we think is true. Like if I reach into my bag and I'm like, I'm feeling lucky, which is a feeling that a robot would never have. You know, I'm just a human and I'm feeling lucky today. So I'm going to grab it, even though the odds are kind of against me. And then my friend thinks that the odds are, you know, just horrible for me. And so that kind of creates some fun like moment of play where he's like, you're going to bust, dude. And I'm like, no, I'm not. Whereas if we both knew, like, there's a 20% chance I will bust, way less interesting all of a sudden, um, kind of when that perfect info comes to the forefront. So I think it's really important to keep in mind that everybody at the table is human yeah. and games often will like explicitly exploit the fact that we are human and we can't remember or don't want to remember or you know shouldn't remember those things that we could if we really wanted to. Mm-hmm. Well, that's part of the charm of Quacks is that you don't remember how many ingredients you've actually yeah. added when you're drawing. Well, and a lot of like dice games in general, like you you know what dice there are, you know what the odds are, you know what you're rolling up against, you know, it's all there. <laughs> um, but it's like, do you sit down and think like, okay, if I have to get a pair of these and, you know, like it, I think a lot of games will obscure it just enough where to really sit down and do the math, like, you know, like unless you're a stats person and that's just your your jam. Like that you just can do that. <laughs> but most people, yeah. It's interesting with dice games because the most likely result when you roll two dice is seven. And ever since I learned that, that has affected the way I play anything involving two sets of dice that are like six-sided. Because I will go into that knowing, well, the likelihood of me yeah. getting close to seven is pretty good and I need to hit like a six, for example. I'm gonna I'm gonna go for it. So statistical analytics can definitely play into the perfect information even though it's a random number generator you're still kind of able to go off of that because of likelihood and i think a lot of games will kind of make that fairly obvious right you know the the seven cards the seven cards will be less valuable or less interesting Catan. yeah exactly Catan. let's move this over into how do we feel about that in games in terms of how fun it is why or why not do we think perfect information however you want to define it, is fun or not? When is it fun or not? In what context is it appropriate, et cetera? Well, I think you started to get a, when you talked about, if we were able to just be a robot and just remember it all, we would know, okay, I have this thing, I have 20.2% chance of that. You know, that's when it starts to not be as fun, <laughs> when it's maybe as, ob- or it feels obvious, right? Where it's the like, odds well, are better than 50-50 or they're whatever, you know, like once it starts hits a certain threshold, it just feels like, it becomes obvious. Yeah. I think that's particularly like important in push your luck games is that they need to kind of hide, like make the luck a little fuzzy enough that it's not so obvious. Like I should stop now. My expected return is below zero. 
Yeah. And so I think like Quax does a good job of hiding that fuzziness as Evan described. I'm going to give a very Robert answer to this and say it depends on the designer's intent. Um, I think you can definitely give the players a lot of information to go on. And as long as it's accomplishing what it's set out to do, it's working. For me personally, though, I would say I gravitate more towards the games that are either going to give you every little bit of information that it can and then use the players as the point of friction. Um, so like the through the desert analogy or games that kind of like what you're talking about with your push your luck that are hiding the luck enough behind the mechanics that you kind of lose yourself and you stop thinking about this is a stupid decision. You can just get talked into doing something stupid by somebody else because it's fun, because you're you know so invested in that moment that you're willing to bet the farm that you're going to roll snake eyes. And it's like, oh, I did. Great. Thanks for talking me into that, Steve. I think perfect information can be used to make a game more and less accessible, depending on how it's used. So if we all have the exact same information at our disposal, then it's easier for me to like introduce the game to somebody because we can openly talk mm. about, you know, that thing is a horse token. You don't have to say like, so if I have a horse token, what does that mean again? It's like it's on the board. We all know you know we can be open about that, and that adds to accessibility. But on the other hand, it can also reduce accessibility because if there is not as much luck, then it's much more obvious who is playing well and who is not, hmm. and that might make a newcomer feel bad because they will naturally pay, play poorly, or often maybe not naturally. Maybe you're a smart person, but usually they will play poorly, and a lack of luck or a lack of hidden information might make that more apparent than otherwise. I think it can also add to the complexity of the game though, because if you have a system that has a lot of moving parts to it to begin with, and then you make those moving parts very transparent, like I'm gonna go here, which will then trigger something over here, which will then give me a resource, which I can then spend here all in one go, it can become a lot more daunting for the player because there's so much information present that they have to rationalize through as they're going through their turn. I'm thinking like specifically of a lot of Lacerda games where I think all of the ones I can think of right now are pretty darn close to being perfect information. There might be like a end game objective or something, or maybe like a resource card you get that you can play to get resources. But for the most part, almost everything is just like open to you. There's not really any random card draws. It's all like face up markets. But those are considered some of the most complicated games, even though all the information is there and there's not really a ton of luck. I really like the point about being able to talk about what's on the table with a new player. Um, like, yeah, I don't know, like, like where it starts to make it less accessible. I mean, I, I see your point. I feel like those are definitely the kinds of games that are easy to like bring somebody into, and I always appreciate that. Like, it's it's always really challenging when it's like the. I have everything behind a panel and it's just like, well, there's five things that I will now describe to you and you have to ignore four of them. <laughs> um, I just know. realized something that might make somebody listening really annoyed. I feel like we are also talking about the differences between open and hidden information, which is maybe a different axis than perfect and imperfect information. Mm -hmm. And I think we've just kind of been all like just jumbling it all together. But I think maybe it's worth even differentiating open and hidden which is kind of like the cards are open face up or we all have our cards versus perfect and imperfect because i think those are actually two separate axes even though they're you know often intertwined like often yeah. if it's perfect it's also open if it's imperfect it's hidden but they are different things yeah i think we've been dancing around that but that's a good 
distinction to make. Can you have hidden information in a perfect information game, though? I, I feel like that would tip it out of the perfect information conversation at that point. So, like, in game theory, I think you can. The way game theorists use it is just that every player knows every past decision of the other players and the possible future decisions of the other players. And I think there could be hidden... Like, if I have a hidden objective that tells me I score five points for each blue car I have, that doesn't suddenly add a new possibility for you. I still know the exact actions you can take on your turn. And so, in that sense, the information is still perfect. I know exactly what you can do. I know exactly what you have done. I don't know how you score, but that doesn't change the fact that you have the same set of actions available to you. So that's putting perfect information into the play box as opposed to the victory box, if that makes any sense. Right, yeah. It's kind of maybe instead of victory box, we might say like motivation box. Like it's harder for me to know why you're getting a blue car because I don't know that you, you're, you're going to score a bunch of points for them. But yeah, it doesn't change the fact that you can get a blue car just like anybody else. So I definitely think it's possible to have perfect and hidden. It just now it's like semantics. How do people in board games use it? Are they using it the game theory way, or are they just, or do they just mean hidden information? Because I think often they just mean hidden information, or they just yeah. mean like luck. You know, like they're they're using that to mean other things. But you know, that's fine. Um, but I think it's still worth delineating. I, I think it's worth using it more in the game theory sense in this context, just because we could also really take a deep dive down the uh, use of words and verbiage and all those fun things. <laughs> in its own uh, context sure i think it is kind of interesting when a game has mostly we'll say perfect information but there's that one thing like um uh mythic mischief comes to mind where you have this kind of chess-like game and for the most part there's like three points on the board that are pretty important and you play one round and then in the second round there's three new points. And so that's kind of the one piece of information that you don't really know going into the game. Everything else is there. You know your your player abilities and how you can move and you know what they can do and whether or not they've done it. And I, at least I think so. Maybe yeah, yeah, you're right. Maybe I'm forgetting something. But for the most part, I think it, it's kind of like that where there's like that one big thing where you just don't know like where the goal points are going to be for the whole second half of the game. But like that one thing makes it pretty interesting and, and keeps it pretty fresh and even though there's only maybe eight choices and i'm sure if you really really memorized all the different things you would kind of know the odds of it being somewhere or not but like I, I think that's like one layer or one part that gives gets a lot of mileage i guess so i think it's interesting so i think that's pretty interesting in games when you have almost it but then there's like a very intentional piece that gets hidden right? and that's about hidden information because i think mythic mischief is still a perfect information game but yeah that, that's like the one piece of it that's hidden um and you're right that's used like well to create kind of tension drama that's true i suppose it is the relative perfect information still where we all know the same amount and then we all find that second half you know we all flip the card at the same time so yeah yeah exactly. so i don't know if we've talked enough about or I, I don't think we've talked enough about like when is it fun mm -hmm. and when is it not fun. So I really want to like figure out why why is it fun? Because I think we all agree that in the right context it's fun, but like what is that context and why is it fun when there is or isn't perfect information or hidden information? Well, I think one way that it's fun to have some level of shared 
or perfect information is then you have something to talk about. It, this is a little bit of what you were getting at with the accessibility thing, mm -hmm. but even just in general, it's fun to have a board that you're all looking at and you're all saying, oh, look, mm -hmm. we could go there or, oh, you know, John just made the move over there. They want to get into this spot clearly. And then you're all talking about it. And then hearing everybody talking about it might even change like, oh, what if I did something that's not what they're talking about, you know? So, um, that I think that part is fun is having some amount of shared info versus having just completely everything is obscured or um, I don't know. I guess even then, I guess there's not really a game where everything is totally obscure for the whole game. Eventually, you have to start giving there something is. or showing something. So I just played a game. I'm not going to say what the name is because I don't want to put the designer or anybody on blast. It was not fun, and it wasn't fun because basically it's a drafting game. So you, I guess, like you have the information of knowing what you're handing over to the next person, but each round is randomly decided what cards you need to basically be working toward. Um, you are getting handed a mitt full of cards from your neighbor and then drawing one card from the deck. So there's a lot of um, randomness in, as far as what cards you're getting. You're then playing these cards in front of you face down until you get five cards in front of you and then you all reveal them and just stuff happens. And so there's no way to really plan for, Oh, you know, this person might play a card that's going to force me to discard a card. And the only way I would know to plan for that is if I gave that card away in the draft, but you're also discarding a card as part of that draft. So you're drafting a card, you're discarding a card, you're passing it along. So I have no idea what's come out. I don't know how aggressive people are going to be until we've played a full round of the game. And we didn't wind up finishing the game because it was just so there. Like, it, it felt very much like we weren't actually playing something, we were just doing something. I mean, I think that's an interesting point. Like, there are games that have absolutely no hidden information or completely perfect information, but there really are very few, if any, games that are the opposite. Like, where everything is hidden, because then there's almost no game. Like, it... I guess I guess the closest thing I could think of is like a roll and write maybe because nobody is looking at your sheet. Like I know there's yeah. cartographers where they do sometimes, yeah. but like if they aren't, yeah, then maybe that is kind of like it's almost totally hidden. But even like the you know the dice or the cards or whatever are being used to generate the random are are open. It would almost just be randomly drawing something and then everybody shows it, <laughs> and that's the game. Even a hidden movement game. The hidden mover, so a hidden movement game being where, like, usually one person, you don't know where they physically are on the board, but that person knows where everybody else is on the board. And that's a really interesting um, play on the relative perfect information mm -hmm. idea because yeah. four people, let's say it's a five-player game, four people don't know all the information, but one person does. And so that's where the tension is. And that, to me, I I've never played a uh, hidden movement game, but I've always found that tension really interesting and kind of exciting. Uh, like he could be in the same space I am, but I'll never know unless I do, you know, this action. And will I do that action just to try to freak him out? Like there's such a mind game that goes into that. Yeah, I think I think that's that shows kind of how both hidden information, like you're describing, Evan, and open information, like Steve was describing earlier, can be fun. So I, I totally agree with Steve that the open info is fun because. It's a shared, it like encourages a shared space that you guys can talk about and play on. And also importantly, I think it's fun because it keeps some of the things transparent, like the implications of your moves more obvious. And that makes 
deciding why to do them more fun. Like if I have no idea what, you know, picking up that token will do to you, like there's no decision left there. But if I understand like, oh, that'll mean you lose two points, I get three points, but, you know, Abby also gets four, then, you know, because the information's open, it's more interesting. But the fun of the kind of imperfect information, especially when the information is kind of scattered about where one person has more or less than other people, it adds that tension. Where if you have more, you kind of feel like you're in power, like you feel special, like almost as if you got some you know special ability in a game. Like I ha- I know more than you, and that makes me feel good. Whereas if you don't know as much, then that can add some kind of like fear or anxiety or tension. Like what am I missing out on? So I think the the hidden information really is good at ex- evoking emotion from players. I mean, aren't most like a lot of games are where you all have like a hand, right? So you have your information and then there's quite a bit of hidden information. Like everybody else has a hand. And so that's obviously at least fun in a lot of games or it, you know, it's in a lot of games. It's, it's a common thing. I think it, it, that there's something fun about that. And it's kind of what you're saying where you maybe don't have more power, but you have some power, you know, something that mm-hmm. is nobody else knows. And so really any kind of change like playing with that seems like it starts to be fun in different ways or has potential to be fun right like if i know more information than everybody else or i know everything but they don't know everything or i know this little bit and everybody else knows an equal little bit but we all have different little bits you know having different amounts different amount different types or different parts of it all seems like it adds some amount of there's some potential for fun doesn't guarantee it but i think it kind of it, it, it almost circles back to what we talked about before with uh, in episode two with decision space and like what I'm journaling when I'm making a decision. It almost feels like it harkens back to that. And does me having this information improve the quality of the decision that I'm making to the point where it's increasing my enjoyment of the activity that we're doing? Like if I know for sure that I play a two and you play a one in a trick taking game, I'm going to win that trick because I've card counted. That's going to make me feel powerful to your point. That's going to be exciting for me. But I think it can also have the inverse of that, where if you're not good at card counting and you're not good at reading a board state, and this is why I generally struggle with trick takers, it's going to feel bad all the way down because it's, it's perfect information. I know everyone has these cards. I just cannot deduce what cards you have based on the fact that you just played an eight of spades. Yeah. Which I think goes back to the point where perfect information games can feel more brutal to people who aren't as good at them. Like it's just more obvious. Whereas if nobody could card count, then the playing field is leveled, you know, because the discard is hidden or something like that. Then it's, there's hidden information and now we're all kind of more on even footing. So I think the strategic gamer would like the open and the tactical maybe would like the hidden. I think that's getting at something, right? Because I think luck is often used as a way to kind of level the playing field a little bit, right? Like the more lucky a game is, the more it's kind of like skill doesn't matter and you being good at the game doesn't, you know, it's it doesn't mean as much because it ultimately comes down to more luck. Um, so I think some level of hidden information or less perfect is also a way to kind of maybe give a new person some fighting chance or maybe like um like what you're saying like a a strategic person who really wants to be able to like battle it out and really go head to head on who is like the better mind at this game you know like having those much more open games feels it's all right there it's much more upfront. 
I um, think you're on a something so that's with fun that for because that person. there's a game called The Castles of Burgundy, mm. which is a bit of a classic. Love it. Um, I, I really love castles. I've played an unhealthy amount of castles online. No such um, thing. And, uh, I'm almost at 100 games in less than a year. So That's fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> um, basically, the conceit of that game is you roll dice. Uh, you then spend those dice to buy tiles, place tiles, and you score points the more tiles that you have in certain areas on the board, or some tiles will score you points, some won't. And a lot of people that are new to the game will complain, this is too lucky. You're rolling dice, and that's going to determine the entire number of actions you can take. And... I can tell you, after playing like 75 games of this game, it's not lucky at all. Because you're going to roll those numbers, which is going to be lucky. But where the tiles are in the market is always going to be consistent. There's always going to be a mine on a 5. So I know, hey, if I roll a 5 and I'm in an advantageous place in the player order, I need that mine because it's going to get me points really fast and it's going to get me coin. And so that's a really interesting way that uh, the designer Stefan Feld has kind of like created almost a slider with the game where it's really beginner friendly and it's really newcomer friendly because it feels a little bit more lucky and, you know, the information doesn't necessarily present itself as overly in your face. But as you get further and further into the weeds of that game, you start to notice trends and hey, if I do this, this, and this, it's going to put me in a better position for next Yeah, year. Castles is a great example of uh, an open information game that actually has imperfect information, I yeah. think, because you don't know what your opponent can do because what they can do is dependent yeah. on the dice. So you don't actually know exactly what their next move will or can even be. You don't know the possibilities because you haven't seen their die roll when you're making your current move. Is there anything else that we can really add to this discussion, or do we do the informal segment where we talk about what our favorite perfect information game is? Ooh, I forgot about the informal segment. <laughs> I think we should do that, unless Steve's looking, you guys can't see him, but he's looking all thoughtful. Um, There's either a no, spider I, in the uh, corner of his room, or he's had an epiphany. Or no, he's bored no, to death. No, no epiphanies. Um, yeah, well, that, that's where I was. I was just having the same thought of like, do I have anything more to add or am I just going to like ramble and repeat? And All right. Favorite. So we should do we should do favorite perfect information game and also favorite not perfect information game, but not just not perfect, like like as imperfect as we can think of, maybe like both sides of the spectrum. OK, thinking about like okay. as as little perfection or as as much imperfection in the information as possible i just go to social deduction mm. those seem to be the games that have just information and almost none of it is shared like usually in those games like the werewolf or whatever knows who his minions are and then nobody else knows who anybody is yeah or what they can do or you know and so for me that's just obviously blood on the clock tower easy easily my favorite in that genre um and I think it really has to do with the fact that the information is just so cleverly sprinkled mm -hmm. to the different players. Like everybody knows something, everybody has a piece of the puzzle, and they all fit together to make a cohesive, consistent story. Rather, stories. And that's why it's so clever. Like you can you can use like really, really, really good knowledge. Like if you have like 95% of the people, you can like make up three stories that totally check out. And that's the fun of it. It's really easy to like make make up lies or make up stories or convince people of things, which is crucial in a social deduction game. So that'd be my like imperfect information game, and then perfect information game would be bus. Uh, I've talked about it too many times, but like it is a perfect information game. 
Um, and that, that would be my favorite. But I won't go into it because I've talked about it at length before. So that makes sense. Uh, I think my favorite perfect information game is Pipeline because that is everything is on the table right from the get-go. You know what pipes you're going to have. And at the start of every round, you do get new stuff coming out, but you know before anyone takes a turn what's going to be available. And all the drama, all the tension, all the like frustration comes from what other players do, how they shift turn order. Like You can kind of surmise what someone's going to do, but sometimes they just do something completely out of left field and it throws a massive wrench into the works. And I love it when games do that. Um, I kind of want to say raw for my non-perfect information game but i feel like there might actually be perfect information in that because i know what tiles are in the bag i just don't know what the other players are going to do and i think that's an interesting way of like hiding the perfect information is are they going to throw a tile onto the auction pile are they going to just say hey let's do an auction right now are they going to you know swap out tiles that's another game where a lot of the drama is coming from the players and you have lit like there's so much randomness in that game. You're just pulling stuff out of a bag and hoping it's like what you want it to be. And yet it's so engaging and so fun. Yeah. I think Raw's a good example of like a very hidden information game. Although I don't think there's that much imperfection in the information. It's all, it's all mostly shared, but yeah, super hidden. Um, as you said, from all, everything just comes out of a bag in a random order. And that order is just completely, like there's no there's no guessing it it's so random but the motivation behind players actions i think is what makes that game interesting because you think you know what someone's going to do and then they just completely do something that screws you over and kind of screws them over maybe too in your estimation but in their estimation it's a clever play and that to me is uh what makes ross special yeah correct me if i'm wrong but i think power grid is perfect information i think there's no hands you don't have any like hidden cards or anything I'm pretty sure your money is generally public, open information. Yeah, 100%. I think that would still be mine. I was sitting here debating, trying to, between that and Barrage, they're very different, but they give me similar vibes in a way. And I feel like they're both games where like everything is there, everything's out on the table, but it's just so complicated that, you know, you're, you're not, you don't feel like you can tell and just figure out, obviously, this is what's going to happen. Power Grid is actually an interesting example because that's a game that has such perfect information that a lot of people, especially the first time they play it, don't like it because it just feels like all they're doing is running math over and over and over again. I've seen a lot of comments on Reddit where it's like, I just tried Power Grid. Why do people like this? But that's fun. Like Age of Steam, I think, can also have an inter- or a similar complaint leveled against it where it's, I have to do so much math at the start of my round. But that's what makes it exciting is you're kind of comparing your math against somebody else's and trying to give yourself a little bit of leeway. I could see it being prone to slowing down, but yeah, I, I loved it. Um, I think my, well, I still do love it. Um, I think my favorite imperfect or mostly hit, it's not even this. Okay. This is, I, I want to say it cause it's one of my favorite games and I think it's just a good example of what we're talking about in some way, but just one. Mm. I love that one person doesn't know anything but then everybody else kind of knows everything or the one thing and then you kind of share all of that and just the i think the the difference of the the way everybody else is kind of in on it but then there's that one person that isn't and has to try to figure it out um i don't know it's it's just the one that comes to mind or feels the most interesting in this 
spectrum of or these spectrums that we're talking about to me. I think that's a great example because we've been talking about how imperfect information or information spread amongst players can lead to interesting decisions and so on and so forth. But the whole game of just one is is that. It's about the person who doesn't have the information trying to get it. Like that's it. Like it, that the game is imperfect information. Period. And there being the goofy layer of before we give you some information, we have to compare it. Yeah. And yeah, like that kookiness. We haven't talked about party games at all, and I think party games actually abuse the information like imbalance. I can think of a handful that we could ramble about for 20 minutes, but perhaps we should instead just stop <laughs> uh, and let other people get on with their day and maybe check out some of these games on Board Game Geek. Not a sponsor. Um, but if you guys don't have anything else to add, we can just wrap up. Let's do it. Only other thing I would add is a can't stop pun, so I'm going to just stop myself right there. <laughs> you, you can never stop. Uh, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this, tell your friends about it, and you can find us on other podcast platforms, which is the thing that podcasters always say at the end, but I don't know why, because the person's already listening to it, so why do they need to know where else they can go? <laughs> None of this makes any sense it, to me. It really doesn't. The, the, the important message is if you've enjoyed the last 30 minutes of your life and you think you have a friend that would also enjoy spending 30 minutes of their life engaged with us talking about nothing that's actually important, please ask them to listen. And write in. CardboardPhilosophyPod at gmail.com. It's that easy. It's just that easy. Great. Make a joke, Steve. I'll just edit it and it'll sound so good. <laughs> I don't have a joke. Damn Does that it. mean you can't edit this out now no because jokes. we're like... I'm out. That's it. I was just... I was just thumbs up and... I think it would be way too cringy to not edit this out. Thus, I will not. Goodbye, everybody. Have a good one. Play some games.